Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening. Materials are a part of any 3D printing additive manufacturing process. They're a key part, actually. This industry often works with versions of traditional materials because they suit the additive manufacturing process better. But you also have the ability to create new materials to better suit your mechanical property needs. I'm here today with Davide Marini, Inkbit CEO and co-founder. Davide is a mechanical engineer, among other titles, and has worked in the additive manufacturing industry. And today we're going to explore trends in materials. So first question for you, Davide, is what are trends in materials for additive manufacturing? Thank you, Leslie. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your program. It's nice to meet you. Um, I agree completely with the premise that you just uh, mentioned. Materials are fundamental. If you even go back to how do we refer to historical eras, we call them the Stone Age, the Bronze Age. So materials are key to uh, the advancement of the additive manufacturing industry. So in our particular case, uh, we use photopolymer-based chemistries. And essentially, the materials that are used today in the photopolymer-based uh, printers that you see in the market traditionally are coming from the coating industry. So they were developed decades ago. They're typically acrylates and metacrylates. They are inexpensive. Essentially, they, we believe that they do not allow the type of mechanical properties that are suited, that are needed to uh, real manufacturing applications. So the process that we introduced um, recently relies on uh, machine vision. So we eliminate mechanical, mechanical flattening, which is typical of, of the inkjet design so far. And this allows us to expand the type of chemistry that we can use beyond acrylase. So in terms of specific trends that uh, I have seen from speaking with customers, I would say uh, the obvious one is what we just mentioned. People want production grade materials, which translates into high temperature resistance, high chemical resistance, high impact resistance, etc. cetera. Um, the other trend that I'm seeing is that uh, people are becoming more aware of the importance of multi-material uh, design. So being able to combine different materials in the same part is very important. Another trend that I've seen with the, one of our customers is uh, the need for food grade uh, 3D printed material that now I don't think is available. It requires significant uh, regulatory compliance. And uh, the, another trend is sustainability. For example, we have designed uh, a support material for a printer that is uh, meltable and non-toxic, is a wax-like material that can be even uh, reused in the process. Uh, maybe um, those, uh, is, is this uh, what you were asking? Or oh yeah, those are good ones. And I, and I have two follow-up questions based Great. on that. Okay, you, did I hear you correctly when you said inkjet tends to flatten materials? Is that the right word, flatten? Yes, yeah, so uh, the traditional way in which an inkjet 3D printer has been built so far, after each layer is deposited, there is a step uh, that is typically executed by what's called a roller or a scraper. And that step essentially scrapes away the top, typically 25% of each layer to make it flat. Uh, and this is done in order to obtain uh, 
a geometric accuracy that you want. Mm -hmm. uh, the disadvantages of this uh, is that uh, it slows down the process because you have to roll every layer and it wastes material. Uh, but most importantly, because you have a mechanical part that is in touch with your, uh, with your, with your materials, you can't use all the materials that you want. Maybe as a specific example, I could mention the epoxy resins that we use in our own inkjet machine. Epoxy is a continuously curing chemistry, unlike acrylates. So even when you turn off the UV light, the material will keep curing. So if you were to try to use that resin into a traditional inkjet machine, for example, a polygen machine, uh, it would stick to the roller, to the mechanical scraper and jam the machine. But because our system is contactless, we don't have a mechanical flattener because everything happens because of a vision system, everything happens digitally, we can use better chemistries. So uh, maybe to summarize, our machine is very different from a traditional inkjet machine. It is still based on inkjet, but uh, the design is, is very different in the sense that after each layer is deposited, there is no mechanical flattening. Instead, we have a vision system that scans each layer at voxel resolution. So we create a three-dimensional topographical map of each and every layer, and we don't touch it. Uh, we just take those data into account before depositing the next layer. So naturally, it's a faster process, it's more accurate, and we can use better materials. Now, I think I heard you say that this flattening, it affects the mechanical properties of the material? In the sense that you cannot use chemistries other than acrylates. Maybe there is another effect that if you're trying to use very soft materials, it's just very, very difficult because if you're trying to flatten and you know shave off a portion of a soft material, it's just quite difficult. Okay. Yeah. And now the other follow-up question I had was you mentioned food grade materials. So I'm assuming these are materials that can be used in a food and beverage process. Is that correct? correct? correct. Okay. Yes. yes. I, I didn't mean to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are people who are really yeah. interested in yeah, printing yeah, materials yeah. for food. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, what might be some of the obstacles that engineering or science is facing in trying to develop more materials suitable for the AM 3D printing process? It's a very good question. It, it is at a purely technical scientific level, we are facing a, an extremely interesting challenge uh, that also presents, in my opinion, tremendous opportunities. The most important obstacle in bringing the inkjet architecture into production is that you have to use low viscosity inks. Because as you know, a printhead as, uh, works by jetting droplets of materials at very high frequency through small nozzles, typically 10, 15 microns in diameter. So you can't jet very viscous materials. But the problem is viscous materials is ideally what you want because they have long chain molecules. So they give rise to more interesting mechanical properties. So that is the reason in my opinion, uh, as, as of today, why inkjet, especially the perception of inkjet has correctly been associated with prototyping parts. The reason why we started Inkbit is because we wanted, it, we wanted an inkjet architecture, which has a lot of advantages, such as 
multi-material capabilities, precision, and proven scalability in factories. But we wanted production-grade resins, production-grade chemistry. So if you want that, you need to essentially play some tricks with chemistries. So we, you know, basically what you want is to jet low viscosity resin, which means you know, short chain molecules and find ways to polymerize those after the fact into long chain molecules so that you have the beautiful properties that, that are needed. So the chemistry challenge is significant and, and very exciting. So we are exploring all sorts of new chemistries uh, beyond acrylates. So what would happen if engineers developed nozzles that could handle higher viscosity? Oh, it will be a game changer for us. We, we are always, always looking for <laughs> printheads that can jet high viscosity. We are in discussion with one manufacturer uh, for precisely such, such a printhead. To give you a sense of range, uh, as of today, we can print resins maybe up to about 15 centipoise. But uh, this manufacturer claims that they can make a printer that can go up to 100, which for us would be fantastic. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, um, most inkjet nozzles are based on paper printing industry. Yes. As yes. opposed to much more of an industrial additive manufacturing. Correct. Trend. Which, in my opinion, is a huge advantage because all the infrastructure that has been developed around the 2D inkjet printing uh, industry is, is, is huge, is reliable, and has already been proven to be scalable. So for example, I come from Italy. Italy has a very strong uh, industry in the manufacturing of ceramic tiles. And those are typically decorated by inkjet at very high speed, very large volume. So we chose inkjet because we, we like the potential and we see that uh, there is no need to prove to a manufacturing company that inkjet is scalable to large volume production. And especially the ability to play with material features by dropping different kinds of materials in different places. Exactly, exactly. What we're trying to do at Inkbit is essentially, we are on a very exciting journey because uh, it's a combination of chemistry, you know, hardware architecture that is innovative and we're using machine vision, machine learning. So, but on the pure chemistry, I think the beauty of the challenge is the following. Let's say, for example, we take a process like a binder jetting. You typically one starts from a powder that is basically a thermoplastic. So the mechanical properties have been locked by the manufacturer of the powder. So all you're doing is bringing you know, the powder together and there you have your part. But in inkjet, what we're actually doing is we are creating the properties of the final molecule as we go during the process. So this is both a big challenge and a huge opportunity because uh, yes, it's something that has not existed so far. Given what you were saying about creating hybrid materials, what do you need to do or what do you feel the user needs to have as far as information to trust that that material is going to deliver the mechanical properties that they're That's all looking great. for? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question and it's one that goes to the heart of the matter of what we're doing. Because we're expanding to new chemistries, 
the problem is one of perception. Uh, engineers in production environments are accustomed to using materials that had been developed in the 50s and 60s, like ABS, polycarbonates, etc. So if we, for example, tell them we now have a thiolene uh, formulation, <laughs> they, they will be surprised. So it's very important to provide, uh, you know, data on the mechanical properties and to work with the engineers to ensure that uh, they trust the technology. And what we're doing is printing a lot of parts for them. And there will be a process of getting accustomed to uh, new chemistries. But so spec sheets would be useful, but also yeah, yeah. The, oh, yeah. seeing the part in action and, and testing it out. Um, and any kind of material test that you do, like for tensile strength or for... Yes. We, we, have a, we have a testing lab in, uh, I think, that we have all sorts of testers. We have impact uh, resistance testing and tensile stress, tensile testing and all sorts of uh, temperature and chemical resistance testing. We do a lot of testing on materials, yes. And one of the things I'm seeing a lot of news about lately is lattices. So is yes. that something that you're working with? Is that something that is your systems can handle? Are there special materials that you're developing for lattices? So traditionally, lattices were used for maybe light weighting of the part, mm -hmm. but also for changing mm -hmm. uh, the mechanical properties, you know, point by point. What's interesting uh, with an inkjet architecture is that now we have an entirely new dimension that we can use, which is multi-material. We can make a lattice you know, out of different materials at different points. So it opens up even more opportunities to exploit lattices in an interesting way. Uh, as an example, we have been producing structures that need to have a soft skin, but there's a rigid lattice inside, or even we could, we could vary the structure of the lattice itself. We have made uh, some of the parts that have generated the most excitement for our platform have been extremely fine scale lattices. We call them digital foams. So some of them go down in cell size down to 200 microns. And those are soft. If you, if you were to touch them, they would feel probably like a sponge. But what's interesting is that we can create the directionality in, in the mechanical properties. Uh, of course, they can be completely digitally designed. So they, because apparently nobody else can print such fine structures in soft materials. And uh, I attribute this to the fact that we have a vision system, the machine. So we don't need any mechanical flattening. And uh, we also have a meltable support. So we can remove the support material from very fine structures. Uh, so yeah, so we are very excited by lattices and we are, we want to take them, you know, one step further. You mentioned directionality and I'm familiar with directionality and additive manufacturing in the way the system lays down materials. Is this the same kind of directionality or something different? Uh, what he meant in this case was more the idea that in diff you can have different mechanical properties in uh, depending on, let's say I, I give you a cube. I could make a lattice such that if I squeeze in the X, Y, in the X direction, it's softer than when I squeeze in the Y direction, things like that. Yes, we're exploring, as an example, sound isolation. You, we, we, uh, we, with one of the manufacturers that uh, we're working with, they have a, 
the need to isolate sound from a piece of equipment that they're making. And uh, there's a particular frequency that is uh, disturbing to the ear. And we were trying to see, could digital phones, uh, when designed uh, you know, by using simulations of sound propagation, could we design from scratch a, a phone that only eliminates a certain frequency, for example? Uh, this is very exciting. Very yes. cool, yeah. yeah. So now your vision system, yeah. what exactly does that help an engineer see? At a high level, the engineer will not even see the, the working of the machine. But the advantages would come after the, after the fact. Because we have a vision system integrated into the machine, by design, the machine creates a topographical, three-dimensional map of every single layer. So all we have to do is stitch those together into a stack, and we create what I would call the equivalent of a medical CT scan mm -hmm. for the part. So for an engineer, you, as soon as you have, have your part printed, you also have essentially a CT scan of the part right there available for you. And you can throw it away if you don't want it, or you could use it to store it for quality control, for tracing, for tracking capabilities, etc. So it's a, it's a very exciting capability, especially for the medical industry, where uh, say you have a device that needs to be made in mass production volumes, but at the same time, it has to be personalized, for example. So how do you go through FDA approval of something like that? Because typically FDA approval relies on a process, but in this case, every product is different. So we believe that uh, having a file, having an associated, uh, we could, we, digital twin is not the right word. I would call it maybe digital replica mm -hmm. of each and every product. We believe it's, uh, it's important and it was communicated to us by a medical device company that that was the reason why they approached us to for this exploration. Yeah, it's kind of test data and it kind of validates any operation of the right, part. Right. We have a, this attach screen and you will see at every layer, you'll see basically the deviation from the intended geometry. You see very clearly a topographical map and you see the machine detecting imperfections at every layer and correcting them instantly. So it corrects yeah. those imperfections too. Oh, yes, yes. So, yes. Our is a, a, it is the first time that a 3D printer is able to track every single voxel deposited in real time and react to it. It's a vision-based, full feedback control-based machine. Uh, nobody had built anything like this before. Our failure is very low for us, uh, but of course, we're still, uh, the machine has been announced. We're booking orders and delivery will be next year. We are still tweaking a lot of the, the various uh, factors that, and parameters that to, we want a machine that is very reliable. That's, that's the whole goal. Yeah, that's yes. what I'm hearing is you're eliminating part failure, which does happen in additive processes, but you yes. found a way to eliminate it or at least reduce it considerably. Reduce it because yes, eliminate it. It's, you know, it's difficult to say we, yeah. we never will have any part failure. Uh, but we're trying our best. And, you know, some of the failures come from unexpected places. For example, when you print with epoxy, it's an exothermic reaction. So sometimes you have a heat that uh, is transferred to your support material. So you may melt your support material. So you have to be careful. There are all sorts of considerations that are taken into account. But fortunately, we have a fantastic team of software engineers that, that is working on making the machine 
capable of learning from its mistakes and avoiding them in the future. Oh, I'm hearing artificial intelligence now. Yes, yes, yes. That's what we do. It's, a, it's, a, it's an integral part of our machine. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Davide. I appreciate your time. Oh, that no, was, thank uh, you. Thank very you so interesting. For, for having me.